Hello, and welcome to the Master of the Podcast, a whole positive fan culture to talk about all things nerdy and the course. Henry? I'm a co- other co-host, Matthew. I nearly butchered that. I have um, one line. <laughs> and this week on the show, we were discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Mm-hmm. Um, a film that came out this weekend, and it is fascinating, I would say. We'll get into it later, but it's it's been fascinating, I would say. We're watching it and seeing their reaction to it. Um, so, yeah. We'll get to that. Um, of course, uh, as ever, a reminder that we have an Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Uh, currently, just doing some reviews here and there. We have a written review actually out at the moment uh, for Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. In case you want to like, just read something and not just hear our voices. <laughs> um, but I assume this podcast will be a bit more in depth. Um, but yeah, we have that up, and obviously in the future, just more reviews and more rankings as well. Um, but yeah, you want to get started uh, with the news of the week. Yeah, news. So, um, apologies for missing stuff again. I've only just re-entered social media after the blackout for for Quantum Mania. Spoiler avoiding mm. and all that. I'm committed. Yeah. Um, but next week we should be completely tickety boo. I'm pretty sure I've got everything, everything big for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we have some more serious news as it's been confirmed this week by the family of action movie legend Bruce Willis that he's been diagnosed with frototemporal dementia. This comes Mm. after he retired from acting last year following a diagnosis of the linked condition aphasia. As a true hero of the screen, I would like to express our sadness at this news, while also wishing to celebrate the career Willis had and all the joy he's brought to people over the decades. Um, Just felt important to to kind of recognise that bit of news. Um, Yeah, Elsewhere, um, we've got a new Hellboy reboot coming. Another one. <laughs> it's set to film in April this year. Um, the production is already well underway, and it will do so with yet another lead actor. The working title is Hellboy the Crooked Man, taking its name directly from one of Mike Mingola's stories, with Brian Taylor directing. Taylor's previous directorial exploits include co-directing the two Crank films, as well as Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance. Oh, okay. I don't hate that. That could be something. Uh, I've seen somewhere suggest that um, Mike Mingol's writing the script, but I cannot confirm that. (laughs) Yeah. So don't get too excited on that one. Um, But yeah, Hellboy's back again. I would be excited for this if there wasn't the final, the, well, the last Hellboy movie that came out. Mm. Um, Hellboy is a character that I, I love quite a lot, um, but there's something about that last movie that came out a few years ago that really just made me think, let's just stop trying. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, We will. Um, another big comeback is the Will Smith film, I Am Legend. Um, it'll be getting oh. a sequel with Will Smith set to return and being joined by Michael B. Jordan. It'll be set 20 oh. years after the first film and will take more of a direct influence from the vampire story it's based on. Screenwriter and producer Akiva Goldsman has said that it is partly inspired by The Last of, its, Last of Us's take on a world well beyond the initial apocalypse. And, more interestingly, as you might have picked up from uh, the, the part of that news being about Will Smith returning, the sequel will follow on from the alternate ending to the original film and not the theatrical ending. Um, quite a controversial thing because obviously spoilers but in the theatrical version he blows himself up with a grenade 
um, rather <laughs> yeah. randomly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think most people uh, agree that the alternate ending is the superior one. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I, I think that's going to be my first question, really. How are you making a sequel? Because there's two <laughs> endings there that are very, you know, kind of famous endings in some ways. Um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's exciting. I don't have much love for the first, so I think it's pretty okay. Um, so... Yeah, we'll see. I think there's potential. Yeah, definitely. I can see it being a bit of like a surprise uh, sequel in this kind of vein of like the second Top Gun, maybe, and stuff. Mm. It's like a, a much better film that you weren't expecting. Yeah, um, yeah. It could be that. I hope it is. That'd be nice. It's a impossibility because I think th- there is there is interesting stuff about that film on kind of the source material. So it's going to be, yeah, look forward mm. to that. See what it's got in store. Um, elsewhere, we've got a How to Train Your Dragon uh, live-action film in the works. Um, live-action? Yep. It is set to be directed by Dean DeBloy, who wrote and directed all three of the animated films for DreamWorks. Bit random, right. but... That is bizarre. Okay. The pulling of Disney. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. How to Train Your Dragon live-action. Is, is it a remake, or is it... Um... Like a sequel that's just live action. As far as I'm aware, it's like it's, it's like a remake. Right. Okay. I think. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, kind of, kind of strangely, we're going to be set for uh, dueling Fred Astaire biopics, <laughs> mm. with two separate films going ahead. One called Fred and Ginger, which will star Jamie Bell alongside Margaret Qualley, and the other, which is yet untitled, will star Tom Holland. Interestingly, mm. this isn't the only time these two have the same role. Both Holland and Bell have had their big breaks playing Billy Elliot. Um, oh, yeah. That's an interesting fact, I thought, to throw in there. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, in both biopics and casting realm, Barry, Ke- Barry Ke- Keoghan... Mm. You know what I mean. <laughs> I um, <laughs> we'll start in a Billy the Kid biopic. And Emma Corrin, who is probably most widely known for their role as a young Princess Diana in The Crown, has been cast in a villain role in Deadpool 3. Oh, um, okay. Following on from this, Kevin Feige has given a range of info on upcoming Marvel projects. He has said that the aforementioned Deadpool 3 will be R-rated the first R-rated film in the MCU, as well as wow. the Blade film is preparing to shoot in 10 weeks' time, and the story for Spider-Man 4 is locked in and the writers have begun work on the script. He has also said that Marvel will look to slow down, especially when it comes to the release of TV shows, so that each project has, and I quote, more time to shine. As part mm. of this, now only two series will release this year, those being Secret Invasion and Loki Season 2. Both Ironheart and um, the other one is um, Agatha Harkness. Yeah. I've been pushed back indefinitely. Right. Uh, oh, and Echo. Okay. Echo. Echo as well. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, I've said Echo several times. Um, <laughs> this, it seems, will also partly extend to films. As well, we've been given a poster for the Marvels. The film has been pushed back four months to allow more of the projects to breathe. Um, right. May I also add that we predicted this would happen since a couple of weeks ago when we did our episode on what was coming up. We did point yeah. out that the Marvels was on the same release day as Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Greta yes. Gerwig's Barbie. So there we have it. Yeah. We know what we're talking about. 
Yes, you can trust us. Um, <laughs> other insiders, the usual bunch, have claimed that Spider-Man 4 will release before Kang Dynasty and that Spider-Man will lead, uh, will have a lead role in Kang Dynasty. Wow, okay. Um, That'll be interesting. Yeah. that's yeah. Again, th- th- these are very much maybe. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's a bit early to tell. Um, I think that, but overall, though, that everything being kind of pushed back, I am quite happy, happy to hear mm. that. Um, I think, well, uh, but I think, yeah, a previous podcast that we did about Phase 5, uh, Phase 4 as well, um, I kind of, yeah, I think Marvel needs to kind of put the brakes on um, just a bit and just to let every project have at least its own, you know, a couple of months <laughs> to kind of be the latest thing. Um, that would be, I think, quite helpful for the entire thing. Mm. And, yeah, I just think more time on, you know, production, the better, really. Um, yeah, I'm quite happy to hear that in, that in some ways, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a relief to kind of see that and see that they are responding to what a lot of people have said. Because um, mm. I feel like they can just benefit from just a bit more time spent on each one. Yeah. Um, last bit of news. Last week's new segment, Sue of the Week, is back. Ooh. Um, okay. It's kind of Read of the Week as well. It's kind of both, but it is more Sue. Um, the casting for, for the Fantastic Four movie has reportedly kicked into full gear. Some rumours suggest that the film will also feature the richest children, but most of the re- reports specify that Sue Storm will be cast first and the rest of the team will be built around her. Ah, okay. Um, and that's a wrap. We also had the Baffers last night, uh, which was basically <laughs> yeah, just a duel between Banshees and Inishirin and All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> every now and then somebody else won, but it was mainly those mm. two. Um, yeah, that's the news. Bish yeah. bash bosh. Nice. <laughs> um, Elegant, smooth. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, main topic. Main topic. Um, I would I, kind um, of like to kind of interject with a bit of a bit of a bit of a middle ground between the news and the film. Um, bit of context. The Quantum Mania has had the strongest box office opening of any Ant Man film, as well as the strongest February opening. Mm. I think that was. Ever? Um, I think it was. I haven't put a source wow. down. I've just written that in the notes. So <laughs> you will never know if it's fact or not. Just that it has had a strong opening. So yeah. Quantum I believe that, yeah. <laughs> um, that is fascinating. I never mm. really thought that movie would be that big. Um, mm. But there we are. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, just to get into the topic, I think it's... Um, an interesting movie to discuss because it's so fascinating and so it is an MCU movie. It has a lot of MCUisms in there, both good and bad. But um, I think it's fascinating because what it gets right and what it doesn't get right is so, I would say, unusual for mm. the MCU to get wrong. Um, so I think I'm going to hand off to you first and ask you, I'm kind of really interested to know like, what are your kind of overall thoughts about this movie? So I guess I kind of have the advantage of having seen your review of the film on the podcast Instagram. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I would I would score it higher than what you scored it. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because I think a lot of the, kind of the core of the film is there for me. Mm. Um, but I do think it, it's very strange in how a lot of it is executed. I think yeah. 
one of the things that kind of going into the film, looking at a lot of the marketing and the trailers, one of the things they kind of look at that kind of strikes you immediately and probably provides a very good, I don't know, minimization of the film as a whole is that there are parts of this film that I think look incredible, mm, yeah. visually, and there are parts of the film that don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's a very good way of kind of summing it up. I would like to say that I think it's it's been given one of the lowest kind of Rotten Tomato ratings of any MCU film. I yeah. think at the time of recording this, it's about 47%. Mm. Personally, I feel like if, if, you, if you're looking at these things as, as a judge, I personally feel that it's far too low for it. I think it's quite a bit, a bit of an injustice done against it with that. Mm. I don't quite think it's that bad. Um, like I said, I think the core of the film's there, but one of the biggest takeaways for me is that, as I kind of mentioned to you, um, kind of over messages before we, we started recording, <laughs> is that it feels like a film that the directors come in, having been criticised previously for making two films that maybe aren't as big or aren't as high stakes as people um, would expect of of one of these one of these big blockbuster films, and has yeah. kind of come in and tried to tried a little too hard to to kind of correct that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there's just so much going on, and I think. In some regards, it manages to maintain what at least I liked in the previous Ant-Man films and that kind of core family dynamic. Um, mm. But I think it does it does kind of lose some of the other other focuses that they've had before. Um, I guess one of the kind of immediate one of the immediate kind of flaws that stands out is how there's a bit of a protagonist problem. Yeah. I um, yeah. They kind of kind of came into this hyping it up as like an Avengers style movie, um, mm. but I didn't quite because it 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 really awkwardly darts between Scott and Cassie and kind of the, the more the more family trio uh, combination of of the Wasp and Janet and Hank Pym. Um, yeah, I would I would say that Janet is a massive highlight for me though. Didn't yeah, expect her to have as much time kind of screen time as she did but what she did have was excellent um mm. and so yeah it's a really kind of awkward mix between kind of the three of them um but i do as i have done in the previous films i do enjoy kind of like the family aspect of it and the bond between kind of cassie and scott is without a doubt kind of one of the, one of the strengths of, of, of the trilogy as a whole um mm. and i think you know catherine newton did a great job of kind of coming in replacing the both previous actresses, um, mm. and I feel like she manages to she manages to continue the energy that the that the kid Cassie had in the previous two films, um, yeah. and yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I also I also did enjoy Jonathan Majors. I don't mm. think um, because obviously when he appeared in Loki, that whole episode is a completely different vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so different. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that episode allowed for a lot more focus on Jonathan Majors, and it did just allow him to kind of go crazy a little bit, whereas yeah. he feels a little bit more constrained in this. But yeah, I do. I every time he was on screen, I I can't I couldn't help but feel that those were the best scenes of the film. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's that's my not so brief brief overview. <laughs> um. What about you? Where would you like to begin? 
Um, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, well, this movie, I think, for me, it was... It's a very different thing to a Marvel movie, Marvel movie that disappoints me in the past, which might have been... The most uh, recent memory of that would be probably the fourth um, Thor movie, hmm. uh, which was, for me, not very good and also quite upsetting. I was quite excited for it, and I think that film's flaws generally um, it kind of upset me and kind of like, oh, I really don't like this is where it went. But with this film, um, its flaws are, just, I guess, more fascinating to me than anything else. Um, I know, that, um, just if you haven't seen the review, I think I gave it like a one and a half stars out of five, but it's, I don't hate the film. It's a weird thing. I don't hate the film. Or even, you know, in the cinema, watching the thing, the two hours flew by and I laughed quite a few times at many of the funny scenes that were meant to be funny. Um, and I was never um, genuinely, like, hurt by anything the movie did or, you know, anything it did uh, against the character, maybe. But I think what's fascinating about it to me is that as opposed to maybe every other MCU movie, this film's biggest issue is its characters. Um, mm. And it, it's it's just, um, I think no matter what, MCU movies, when you want to talk about the visuals or the music or, you know, the villains or whatever, um, I think you can genuinely say that they try and mostly succeed in giving the main character and supporting cast a very good, chemistry dynamic and some sort of change or growth that happens even it isn't that huge but it feels pretty huge in the moment at least um but this movie it it really gets by on just for me at least it kind of gets by on just you you like these people and that's enough you like these characters from the previous adventures and they're funny in this one and they're funny again um and i think yeah i think the main issue for me is is kind of the main character of scott lang um not because he does something that it makes no sense or uh, the performance of Paul Rudd gets weird or anything like that. Paul Rudd is still very charming in the role and the character is consistent, I would say. But I think, I think it's just fascinating that as the main character of the film, there are more than a few points in the film where I, I was wondering who the main character is. And then when I remembered, oh, it's Ant-Man, <laughs> um, I also was like, I think I've yet to see him make a real active choice in the story um, or to consciously become aware of a flaw inside of himself and try to change that. Um, I think anything the movie alludes to emotionally is kind of obvious and kind of there from the start and not really that much of an issue, really. It's all kind of a bit surface level. And I think, yeah, it's weird. I think for me, the whole film is really summed up by the, the Wasp character. Um, She's in this movie, <laughs> um, and I literally can't think of anything else to say about that character aside from she is the character that we knew from the previous one, and she's back, and that's about it. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think for me that kind of sums it up. And I think, yeah, I, I, for you, I mean, is that kind of your kind of issue with it? If you would have like a big issue, um, is it the character work or is it something else for you? No, I, I would agree. I think it it struggles to identify a clear kind of journey for any of the characters yeah it 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 feels like it's trying to establish one at several points mm. with kind of the whole kind of dynamic at the start of the film there's, there's a scene in the car 
after Scott picks uh, Kathy up from from the jail, where mm. they kind of have that conversation where Scott is kind of desperate to maintain that relationship with his daughter, having missed all those years. He's desperate to kind of keep her safe and maybe even prevent yeah. kind of her from making the same kind of kind of decisions that he made in, in all of his all of his trips to jail. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you kind of have this conflict in that Cassie Lang really just wants to help people. And yet that kind of pops up again when we meet the freedom fighters in the film. Yeah. But it kind of then just gets lost a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even even with someone like Janet, who who kind of a- appears and has this, these quite a big reveals made about her and her past in the quantum realm, even her journey kind of gets a little bit lost with the others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes back to me, just back to the point of, I think in here, in kind of between the lines of this film, there is there is a really good film in there. Yeah. And I think it just kind of gets a little overexcited at several points. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that is kind of the major thing for me. It, it kind of comes back to this idea that it felt like there was a point that needed to be proven by the people behind this. Um, yeah. You know, Peyton Reed said previously that he, he, he wanted to come into this film and make a big film after the previous two Ant-Man films. Um, yeah. And he, he his kind of his, his style that he's brought to these films has... It's attracted criticism. Um, I think one of the biggest kind of takeaways I've been kind of reflecting on after this film is after it, I kind of weirdly respect Peyton Reed. <laughs> yeah. Just because he's come into this film and I don't think anyone can doubt that he, and everybody, everybody gave it everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that kind of another thing I, I maybe alluded to you, to you before we started recording was there was kind of a comparison I wanted to make between this and Thor, the mm. Love and Thunder film. And it's that coming straight off the back of, of Love and Thunder, I did kind of defend it a little bit and I, I did I did enjoy it. I, however, fairly recently I did rewatch it and my opinion of it did drop quite significantly. Um, I still don't think it's irredeemable. There are still parts that I really enjoy to it. Um, However, comparing these two films side by side, looking at Love and Thunder, I think one of the one of the one of the greatest insults you could ever probably pay a filmmaker is that is kind of telling them that the film doesn't feel like they care. I'm not going to say that because it's a big accusation to make. It's quite offensive, and it's not one that I would want to attach to it. However, with me mentioning that, I think you can see where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of that film, with a lot of the humour and a lot of kind of the approach that many of the scenes in that film take, is a bit flippant. Yeah. It's yeah. quite—I don't want to say disrespectful, but there's kind of an atmosphere and a feeling you get from a lot of it that maybe certain aspects weren't taken as seriously as they should have been. Yeah. And kind of thinking about Quantum Mania and all the criticism that Quantum Mania has got, I think one of the biggest positives for this film is that you cannot levy the same accusations against it as Love and Thunder for me. Yeah, I think that that kind of flippancy that Love and Thunder has and the attitude to the characters and the film that kind of comes across, I don't at all feel like Quantum Mania takes itself for granted. 
I do feel yeah, like I'd it agree. is it is yeah. it is a hundred and ten percent all in on trying to make a big film. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't like like we said with kind of the protagonists and the character kind of kind of character juggling that isn't necessarily done as cleanly as it could be. Mm. And just just a lot of the messiness, I suppose you call it. It all comes from a place that you can tell they're trying, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that 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 for me goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, so yeah, and that, that that's kind of one of the one of the kind of big points I wanted to make about it. Uh, again, yeah. I'm not saying I, I necessarily hate Love and Thunder. I just think that Love and Thunder is significantly weaker for that mm. kind of almost too relaxed feeling it has. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I totally agree with that. Cause I think what. Mm. I think I'm kind of trying to discern why, uh, as I was leaving the cinema even, why um, Love and Thunder kind of upset me and kind of made me a bit angry for a little time at the movie and why this movie uh, being as flawed as I thought it was, but at, at the same time, I wasn't really that upset about it. Mm. And I think that's the reason is that it's kind of it wasn't flippant about it. It was trying. Um, it just kind of failed to hit its mark a few times. Mm. Um, whereas I think a film like Love and Thunder for me was actively saying to not care some wind mm. it was very strange um it's a bit too yeah, blase think, yeah and i think i think this film is summed up quite well by its big moments of uh sincerity and kind of trying to really go for some emotional beats here and there and the fact that they in my opinion i think they work when you look at them just in the moment but i think when you look at the movie around it mm. it doesn't really build to that at all and I think, are we, are we doing spoilers, actually? <laughs> That's realised. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't think we've mentioned spoilers, but we can go into spoilers if you like. We've yeah, done our, we've done our brief one, overview. Yeah, I think that one spoiler territory. I was going to kind of explain yeah. some scenes and what might have worked or not worked. Um, yeah. yeah, spoiler warning uh, going forward. Um, for me, the sequence where um, Ant-Man kind of... Uh, duplicates over and over again mm-hmm. and eventually finds the will to kind of climb to the top of the tower and then falls over and then the wasp very heroically uh, saves him. Um, I think that moment is really going for some sort of like really powerful love and connection between the wasp and Ant-Man that must be really powerful to the point where even in, in I think they call it like a, a probability storm, mm-hmm. uh, even in that sort of situation, in every situation, you know, no matter what, they would still find each other and get them out, get them out of it. And I think looking at that sequence by itself, I think that's just a great sequence. That's just a great idea and visually quite caught very well. Um, but then I remember having like that moment where she catches him and thinking this should have hit really hard. Mm. And yeah, I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, that's nice. Like I just kind of, I just like at no point did I feel like it was part of an arc or an overall theme. Um, I didn't really feel like the Wasp was overcoming something by doing this or Ant-Man doing the same thing. I just kind of thought, oh yeah, they're, you know, they're together. They This this would probably happen. Yeah, it's kind of a, a nice moment. Um, and I think that's sort of the entire movie where it does these big moments of either action or hard comedy. And it's not that they don't work. It's just that they're not helped by any scene around those big moments. Mm. Um, I think looking at the end of the movie, there are so many moments where I'm thinking like, this is this is going for like an endgame-esque, um, you know, a person that 
you know, you forgot what was in the movie, comes at the last moment and saves the day, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's going for that sort of these like tension and relief back to back over and over again in really like fun, interesting ways. And it's not that it's failed to do that. It's just that the movie leading up to those moments and uh kind of getting us invested in those characters aren't isn't doing the work to get there. Um and there's just so many moments in this film where I'm thinking, I feel like I'm just watching a Marvel movie going through the motions, really. Hmm. Um, like I was saying before, this film just feel like it's trying. But at the same time, I can't deny that there were times where I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's doing the Marvel thing. You know, it's doing uh, the third act, actor sequence, it's doing, um, you know, someone returns from battle sort of thing. It's doing like the final kind of fist battle sort of thing. Um, having some cuts here and there. Uh, you know, it's like it's having these moments and it's not not working. It's just kind of at like a weird sort of half power sort of mode. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, I think, well, yeah, if you do want to talk about a bit about, I guess, Kang, like hmm. what was your opinion overall about Kang? And kind of, for me, it was, I would say this briefly that for me, it was a character that was elevated by the performance hugely. Um, but I would say on paper, not quite why I was hoping for, at least. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about Kang? Uh, I think that's a very fair summary of, of, of how he fits into the film. Because, um, mm. obviously, he appears immediately, like, he, like the, the coder, almost, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, he then just disappears for half the film. Um, yeah. Which I don't, I don't necessarily mind, because that kind of tension can help. Um but I don't think the tension's built all that well because he's just never mentioned. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> until right before he's, he's kind of seen. Um, I think every scene that he's in, as as I said, every scene that he's in kind of is positioned as some of the best in the in the film. Um, mm-hmm. The flashbacks to him and um, Janet when they're trying to restore the machine, I really, really enjoyed those scenes. Mm, Again, yeah. it is partly down to Jonathan Majors and kind of the chemistry he has with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer that plays a massive part in it. But just the, I I've kind of I've seen him described as kind of these films have been coming out. People have described Jonathan Majors kind of like a once in a, in a generation talent. Um, mm. And maybe this isn't kind of the best film to to highlight that. But I I I, I see what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't quite describe it, but it's just little facial movements that just mm. bring so much to kind of the way he holds a character and how he, how he kind of depicts a character. Um, mm. And so every scene that he, he's in, he has such a presence, which is something that you kind of underestimate in a villain. Yeah. You've got to have presence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, he, and he certainly does that. I don't think... I don't think kind of his motivations and his kind of place in the film is explained all that clearly. Mm, yeah. um, and I think one of the one of the major kind of holes in his presence in the film is that understanding of what he's about. I mm. think if you compare it to someone like uh, Thanos when he first arrived, he comes onto the scene, makes a big splash, but you know what he's about. Mm-hmm. You absolutely know why he's here, what he's doing, and where he's going next. Whereas with Kang, it's kind of like so he's he's conquering and destroying universes, but why? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he kind of, as it kind of goes on, he explains that, um, you know, he's doing it to stop something worse from coming along later. Um, how, however, it kind of ties into something that I'm not necessarily saying it's a problem, but something that the MCU has never really relied on before. And it's that mm. in order to fully understand Kang in this film, I feel like you have to have seen Loki. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I imagine if you came into this without having kind of had that conversation with He Who Remains, who ultimately does a more in-depth job of describing the same thing that Kang describes. Yeah, because th- 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 they are the same thing that he's getting. Are you saying that? Um, the universe or the multiverse eventually breaks because a version of him arrives or basically all the versions of him break out of the timeline and just just run amok. Mm. And I, and I, but I feel like if you haven't seen Loki, there must be a piece missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it's not something that the MCU has kind of relied on before. They have done a pretty good job of explaining the events of a previous film or series for a new audience, just in case they haven't seen it. Because the likelihood is, yes, if you are going to see this film, you have probably seen all the others. Yeah. Um, But there are kind of general audience members that they have always catered to in the past. And I, I, I did find that just a generally strange thing, because if you don't know what's going on with the whole Kang thing... Mm-hmm. N- May, even if kind of you're not as aware as a lot of people going into this who've read the comics, I imagine there might be a little bit more confusion than there normally is. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know Jonathan Major's performance is is it is it is a scene stealer. Um, mm. I'm yeah. kind of very excited to to see where he pops up next. Um, mm. Obviously, I'm going to ask you what kind of what your thoughts are, but one thing I would like to add on to that is, um, is he dead? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because really... it, it feels strange to think that they would kill the Conqueror version of this character. <laughs> yeah, which I would say, from at least my knowledge, is kind of not the main one, but definitely a, a quite a big one. Yeah, mm. because of his kind of main. Uh, Kang variations. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that kind of, yeah, for me that kind of sums it up where um, I think Kang is, he's used, he's, in this film he's used very strangely because mm. when it's just him and in that flashback sequence um, it's working extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say actually that that is probably my favorite sequence in the film is yeah. that whole kind of back and forth between him and Janet. Um and I think, I think there's about a 20 minute stretch, stretch in this movie where I am way more invested than I was before that, and actually after that as well. And that is that's pretty much when he has a spotlight, really, mm. um, where it's that flashback, where it's him interrogating Ant Man and uh, Cassie, um, when he's like fully given the time to be the villain or just be a character in the film, it's working extremely well. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, the kind of the question of is he dead? Or how do we move on, like going forward from this? What I mean, does anyone that didn't watch Loki not understand what's going on? 
I think that kind of muddles the whole thing to me, where I think also a lot of his plan um, didn't satisfy me um, in terms of the next big bad of the MCU. Um, mm. I, I think he, you know, it, it has this, he has this whole plan and this sort of intelligence, I would say, of a, a villain that will be around for one movie. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I, I couldn't help but feel at certain moments that if I were to take away Jonathan Mintz's performance and just look at what's happening and what he's doing and the plot around him, mm-hmm. I would say it's probably a villain who's not very good at his job. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's kind of like, weirdly, in a similar way to Ant-Man himself, he's a character that doesn't often make many big choices or... Um, decide to actively go for something. Mm. Um, for me, I, I was I was heavily confused that Kang, the big bad of the MCU going forward, um, you know, the smartest man ever, sort of thing, uh, has been in this quantum realm for so long, and at no point managed to find out how to get that quantum tech to stop his engine thing from uh, not working. Mm. Um, and he just sort of let it happen. And then when you get to the Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, shrinking down that technology into into uh, size, um, and it was just a simple kind of just shoot it a few times, um, <laughs> I was heavily confused. I was just bizarrely like, this guy's been here for at least 30 years. Um, and at no point has taken this out. And then going forward... Um, yeah, full, I, again, full spoilers. Like the fact that this guy's taken out by ants, um, <laughs> it's a fascinating choice. Um, I think it's fascinating on the one hand because um, ants kind of get rid of them, and then Janet Van Dyne, I would say, who's the only character that I think the movie does any work towards having, who deserve, therefore deserves having some sort of meaningful ending fight in some way, doesn't really interact with him, and then. Ant Man and him sort of have a fist fight, um, and it sort of ends with him just not getting to the portal fast enough because he didn't run that fast. Or like it's just all kind of like it's not what you'd hope to see from the next Darth Vader. You know, it's not really something. You know, if you're looking for the next Thanos, I know it's a different character, and I shouldn't expect the same thing. But I know also that this isn't the main variation we're going to be seeing going forward. But mm-hmm. there's just a few things here and there. Where I'm like. If this guy is so, you know, such a big bad, um, and going to define on the villain side the next five to ten, or the five years or whatever, um, I just don't think it does the work as much as it could. And I think it's, it really is John Major's just, uh, doing his best. And that is thankfully good enough to make it, uh, really compelling when it can be. Um, mm. but yeah, I think I would say that. Out of, the two, out of the two versions we've seen so far in full, uh, Can the Conqueror and He Who Remains, um, I would say that I definitely prefer He Who Remains so far out mm. of the two. Um, I think he's, I think on the one hand he's given more to work with, but also I, I can't, I can't help but uh, be excited to see Jonathan um, Mazur to be villains and be threatening like he's in, in this movie, but to also see him uh, be also quite charming and relaxed and. Um, kind of easy breezy in some ways. I kind mm. of found that fascinating about his Loki performance where he he has so much uh, 
weight on his shoulders in terms of what he's doing and his role in the whole thing. And to have him be so kind of, uh, kind of flippant, but also understanding of how serious the whole thing is, despite how, how long he's been at, at the end of time for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I much preferred that take on the character so far compared to, uh, this take. But yeah, like I said, it's John Major that's doing the work. And I think, you know, I think that's kind of a good thing going forward in some ways because it, it means that, uh, John Major's, Jonathan Major's can, he can make it a, a good script, hopefully in the future, really fly properly. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not worried about this bullet not being as important going forward, but I'm definitely, uh, just looking at this one film here, a bit kind of like, a bit let down, honestly. Um, yeah. I mean, for you, I think that kind of leads to a question I have about, do you think this movie leans too much into kind of the issue of, um, setting up the, the next, what's to come next, I guess? Um, because for me, I would say it's definitely a movie that I think on its priority list is definitely, I think the setting up the next film is too high on that list for me. Um, yeah, but I think so for you, was that at all kind of an issue for you? I think. There, I think there is an argument to be had that on one hand, with it kind of Ant-Man and the Ant family, I suppose, um, mm. going into the quantum realm does feel like the good kind of trilogy capper in terms of how these films have worked before. Um, but yeah. I do I do sympathise with the kind of the point of view that it does just feel like it's meant to be an introduction in some parts. Yeah. Um. I, I. I. Personally, I do think it kind of does enough to, to kind of focus on the ant family and kind of resolving, kind of the, their their connection to the quantum realm, especially kind of through Janet. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think. In terms of kind of where this film kind of leaves it, I think the 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 kind of the final scenes, are definitely not necessarily a resolution. But more of a, he's coming back kind of thing. Yeah, you know that kind of inner monologue that kind of Lang, uh, that Scott Lang has. It it doesn't necessarily scream, this is the end of this story, and we're going to give it a nice kind of, kind of res- resolution or little epilogue. Mm. It did definitely feel like so this story is over, but it's also kind of not over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. And so it's a very strange placing. I think with it being at the start of like phase five as well, doesn't necessarily help it. <laughs> there is kind yeah. of the expectation and the kind of the understanding that people are going to kind of look at this and analyse this in the context of starting something. Yeah. And so in that regard, you know, there's got there's, there's a level of scrutiny that they probably have to be aware of. Um, but I th- I, th- I think it's. It's teaching on the edge for me. I think there are there are kind of worse offenders out there, in, in not necessarily in the MCU, but generally in kind of other franchises or films that are attempting to start franchises that are worse offenders at this. Yeah. I I think for me there is enough in there to kind of maintain it as a, as a standalone story. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I I also think it's strange in that. The third film in like an Ant Man trilogy, if you will, introduces an entirely new villain. <laughs> yes. 
that is also meant to be that is also ultimately meant to be somebody else's other than later down the line. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of strange. Let's um, that. It, it is a strange point that maybe doesn't help help kind of defending itself against the accusation of setting things just solely being a, a two hour post credit scene. Mm. Um, which I think is what you called it on the story. <laughs> yeah, for me that kind of um, yeah, it kind of rang true for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I, I, if, for me it does do enough on its own. Um, but I do, I do mm-hmm. definitely see why there are frustrations about it mainly being used to set things up for the future. Um, mm. Kind of leading on from that, what did you think of the post credit scenes? Also, um, actually, actually, also before before I mention that, I did also want to mention, um, we're talking of credits, um, that Damien de Chalamet gets a title card in the credits, but isn't in the film. Yeah, what is that? I kind of <laughs> noticed that. I, I, I saw that came up, and I thought, oh, I assume he's going to be in the post credit scene. Mm, and he yeah, wasn't. and yet not really. Um, anyway, yes, the post credit scenes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think out of the fourth credits that we've had in the past few years, I think these are definitely uh, more of a highlight for me uh, than those ones. Um, I quite enjoy uh, post-credit scenes that are actually important. I think I think there's, I think we've kind of been not doing that so often. And I think having kind be four times here uh, the fourth credit scene sort of stinger, um, I really enjoyed. Um, I will say, I think the um, the handling of uh, the first uh, mid credits scene, as I say, a bit strange. I found it sometimes more funny than threatening. <laughs> um, but I will say, at the same time, that I do quite I like the idea that, that this building going forward has so many variations that there are there there are quite a few that are just kind of strange, um, and I quite like as well just the idea that there are a few that are so excited i think um the the kind of shot that kind of pans over to the, the entire audience of hands and there are some that are just so excited like they're at some sort of football game um i really enjoyed that actually and i thought it was quite funny but i don't know funny but threatening but strange yeah yeah um <laughs> overall yeah kind I, of thought, I thought it was also it's kind of a funny thing where you're looking over that and thinking and that other one's the one you chose to exile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who does get like, like the most calm one out of everyone here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I quite enjoyed the the Loki kind of uh, mm. uh, post-credits scene because, well, number one, I found it fascinating that you could tell it was filmed by someone different immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then... Also, I just remember that I'm quite excited for that for that TV show to come back. So mm. I quite love the first season, and I think it's kind of a Marvel highlight. Um, so yeah, I think I think they're both quite good. I think I know I I struggle honestly. It's kind of more of an overall observation of the MCU, but I struggle to have too much of a a reaction to the post credit scenes these days. Mm. Um, I think honestly, I I always have. I think they're, they're nice. I think they're kind of a, like a nice little treat, but I'm very rarely like upset or massively hyped about them um yeah i mean did they did they work for you uh like a, a high level or a low level i did i think um 
I quite almost enjoy kind of the format they have gone for with a few of these in that um, kind of the first one is like a genuine post credit scene that relates almost to the film and is obviously meant to set mm. something up in the future and then kind of have a second one that's like a scene from an upcoming project. They've mm. done it a few times and I do quite enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, think, I think they're... I think they're more kind of... They feel like they're more designed to induce hype than some of the other ones we've had. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where the nature of this film as like a building block for the later Kang films. I think that's that post credit scenes where it's probably most evident. Mm. Um But yeah, I did I I did enjoy it. The kind of the idea that there's these kind of I guess <laughs> the vibe I almost got from it was there's kind of these three kind of superior Kangs that just look at all the others with like the disdain of, a, of an older sibling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just looking at them all kind of cheering and whooping and going a bit crazy. And then there's, um, there's those two, which I do believe are named. Um, they, yeah. are, they, they are kind of versions um, of Kang from the comics, most of them, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't have the list. I only recognise one that's the one... Um, that's the the one with, with the the Egyptian headgear. All right, yeah. <laughs> that's all I can call it. I think is it, it <laughs> Kamatut? I think is it? Is that right? I have to check. It. Um, <laughs> give me a second. Yeah, but yeah, I think Ramatut. Yeah. Ramatut, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think. Yeah. With that, I kind of I think that's what I enjoy about it most was the idea that there wasn't just a couple of cans. Like I think it it needed visually shown to us that there was like more than just a couple. Um I think the idea that there's like that many is really exciting in some ways. Mm. Um and I think I think it probably would have done a kind of a lot of good to kind of show that before the movie was over. <laughs> um I think it would have helped sell the threat a bit more if we as part of Kang's kind of twist that he's the villain uh, toward Janet, we actually kind of hopped around a bit with different Kangs in his flashback sort of thing. Um, when, she, when she, for example, touches the orb and sees his destruction, if we kind of briefly, even as like, like one or two lines of dialogue, saw a couple of different Kangs, um, I think that might have sold the threat a bit more than just kind of saying that that's mm. a, that might happen in the future, because I think people who are just walking in I have no idea who Kang is, or really don't understand multiverse stuff. You hear that, oh, there's, there's more mm. of me on the way. You might not understand what it actually means, and you might take it as like has a lot of enemy, a lot of uh, weapons, maybe. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think it's good that we actually sh- saw the threat of how many that are of him. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of a weird thing because I think the most interesting thing about this movie in terms of going forward is is the hype of Kang the Conqueror and Kang, uh, all the Kangs, really. And I think, looking forward to, like, from this movie, there's nothing that's in this movie that's just about the characters in this movie, and that's it. That's made me excited to see them again. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll see them again. I'm sure I will. And I'm sure that I'll enjoy the performances and chemistry. But I, I think the whole thing's actually um, kind of, started to kind of uh, become clear to me what my issue was with, was with the film 
when a character who I don't even care for that much, but was really kind of, for me, I thought this instant whiplash of this character is so different and so kind of suddenly quite one note. And I think for me that the character was uh, Hank Pym. Mm. Um, a character who I always, I don't, you know, I'm not really overly fond of the character, but I just feel kind of weirdly not hurt or upset. It's kind of a bit off about how he was handled here. Because he's so lighter and so kind of just like whatever about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, a character who is fascinated by science and his quantum tech and all that, finally going to the quantum realm and then getting there and immediately asking to have a drink and get drunk. Um, I was just like, why is, why has this happened? I like, I get that he's got his wife back and might be a bit happier and a bit more light about the whole thing, but he's so just, in my mind at least, like removed from any previous Hank Pym in my mind. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of that unfortunate turn, I think, that you could argue maybe um, a four experienced where kind of like, we get to the third movie, what do we do? I guess we just get a bit lighter with it because that'll be kind of a twist to the previous. But I think it works far less here because there's just no reason for it. It just it just sort of happens. Hank Pym's a lot lighter. Um, yeah, it's kind of a strange thing. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that kind of sums up the, the kind of the whole film's kind of weird handling of the characters. But I think it tries really hard with the scale and the, the threat and the the weirdness of the whole thing and the it tries to be kind of visually spectacular whenever it can. Um but somehow just lost complete focus in my mind of what to do with the characters. Um aside from just kind of react to things in front of them. Um uh, yeah, so I don't I think yeah, it's kind of a weird one, uh, when it comes to the actual characters in this movie and what I think of them going forward, where I'm just kind of like yeah, I'll see them again. That <laughs> is fine. Um, and I think that kind of sums up the kind of the issue you were kind of mentioning previously, where I think it didn't. It kind of was a bit of a sour taste for me. The kind of final scene, like you were mentioning, um, having it be Ant Man, kind of do it re, kind of re mirroring the first scene of the film where we find when we meet him, and he's extremely happy, a bit full of ego, and it's all quite funny and charming. And then I thought it was quite um, a strange choice, I thought, to purposely end your film doing the exact same thing you started doing um, and to not have that many differences between the two of them and even to end it on the note of... I thought it could have worked really well, actually, if the ending note was him realising that Kang's going to come back and that, you know, he said this or this might actually go terribly wrong. And I thought, what a kind of a neat idea for the ending of to have him kind of slowly realize that nothing is actually that well and it kind of could add a bit of an edge to the idea the character didn't change that much and therefore didn't actually win um but again it kind of to have that kind of undercut by i don't know it'll be fine that's all okay <laughs> yeah um which is funny it made me chuckle and it's very ant-man it's very tall wood as well um it but it just sort of made me go I need to I need to actually want to see what happens next and not just be told something's happening next. <laughs> um I think that's kind of the thing. Because this film tells me a lot that something's happening next. But I never actually just from this movie by itself, imagine there's no MCU around it, this is one movie, 
um, I don't actually really want to see that much what happens next, I think. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of my feelings towards the whole... So yeah, I, I mentioned before on the story that it's kind of it's like a two-hour-plus uh, credit scene. And that might be too harsh, but I just think it's it's too high on the list of priorities in this one. Um, yeah, it's not quite Iron Man 2 level of like getting in the way, but I just think it's too high on the list of terms of like priorities. Um, but yeah, I mean, how did you feel about... I guess the... I feel like, yeah, how do you feel about the actual quantum realm in this film um i had quite a lot of different thoughts about it <laughs> um but yeah i think it's, it's kind of it's kind of where where it kind of comes to the forefront that some of it looks really well done and quite good um mm. and some of it looks a bit ropey um yeah <laughs> especially with the volume some of the some of the some of the bits with the volume look a bit unpolished um that being said i really enjoyed it when it was being really weird Mm, yeah, yeah. There, the, there are points like um, the 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 blob guy. <laughs> yeah. The blob guy, uh, Quaz, I believe, and kind of those houses that were alive thing. Mainly the <laughs> houses that were alive thing. When when it was weird, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and I enjoyed the idea that the ants that got sucked through the portal with them at the start of the film just went yeah. off and built an entire advanced civilization. <laughs> it's in the background. Yeah. That's um but those are the kind of things that I do really enjoy. I think I kinda of set it off the back of, of Loki. But I just like it when it just goes that extra level with the with the wacky weirdness. Mm. I'd like to see yeah. it fully committed to that I think. Mm. Because when it when it when it is committed to that I thought it was great. And when yeah. it was kind of focusing in on that, um, there were kind of other aspects like Bill Murray's character. It was fine. Yeah, he's I didn't just like it. It was fine, but it was probably the less interesting of the quantum realm stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think, on the whole, the kind of the freedom fighter aspect it feels kind of weirdly placed. Yeah. Um. I get why they were there. I get their role in the kind of, in kind of the story, and like I said, I enjoyed the weirdness of them. But there were a lot of points where they didn't feel as connected as they maybe should have been. Mm. And I think it, it kind of where it comes through best the idea that there are certain points where the film it really could have slowed down. I think. Yeah, yeah. Just to make these kind of these connections clear, um, and just to, to better build these kind of these kind of aspects out. I think it's one of the one of the cases where I genuinely kind of believe that if this film had maybe been like um, an hour, an hour and a, sorry, a half hour longer, mm. it maybe could have fleshed these things out a bit better and maybe added a few things to make, like we said, character focuses and character journeys clear. And I think the quantum realm would also have benefited from that. Um, yeah. One of the things in kind of the the madness of it all, that I feel like maybe it lost from the previous two Ant Man films. Was the more unique kind of aspect of that of kind of the Ant Man powers, I suppose you describe them. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like in previous films that there there have been kind of these fights that have really made use of the the just just really played with the the shrinking and the going big kind of aspects, and I think that that was consistently good in previous the the last two previous films, 
However, they didn't really use that here, which was a bit strange. Mm. I think one of the biggest examples is there's kind of the the bit they have where with Scott and Cassie where he's trying to teach her how to fight. Mm. Where he says like shrink um shrink lunge and push or whatever, whatever it was. Um yeah. and he and he, he, he shows her and I say in inverted commas shows her. I had no <laughs> idea what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was kind of an example of obviously it was like a big fast-paced action scene but it happened so quickly and there wasn't necessarily the time to do it as they have done in the past um mm. so i think kind of going into the quantum realm and not being able to focus on that kind of side of things you know it, it is a bit of an inconsistency with the pre- previous two films which had such strong strength in that regard i feel um mm. but yeah i for the most part i enjoy the quantum realm what about you um I, yeah i think i was kind of split on it when like we get there, and it's a lot of weirdness, and it's a lot of quite wacky and weird, and I think it kind of hits hard, and then for a, it kind of slowly kind of loses me where it's like, I realise quite early on that I don't care that much about anyone in this land. <laughs> um, I think there's kind of this weird thing in the movie does where it doesn't really do the work to make you care about any kind of... Uh, thing going on on this land where it kind of tells you that there's some sort of war going on some sort of um you know resistance forming um and it all just kind of happens and i kind of feel like um it's somewhere too much like scott lang in this movie where he kind of gets told it and just kind of goes okay it's not really my issue but i want to go now <laughs> like i kind of feel like i knew him too much in this movie because i just i think in terms of i think a good example of this is when we go to um uh it's called Sakaar in Ragnarok. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that film does a very similar thing of um, rebellion and characters that you are meant to like and want to kind of see get out of that and then move to the next thing. And I think this film, I think it tries that. And I think I struggle to really care or connect with any of the characters that are meant to be quantum realm characters. Um, like, going forward, I don't really care too much to see more of the blob guy or the mind reading person or um i don't really yeah they don't really land that well they're just kind of they're there they're pretty funny sometimes and then they're mm. apparently there's some sort of war going on um but afc is mostly pretty fine i think it is kind of i think the quantum realm is a weird sort of thing where it's it's meant to be the big thing in the movie but sometimes and more as the film goes it kind of distracts from the what makes ant-man so unique um mm. I think you're totally right in terms of uh, there's kind of a weird thing where once you put Ant-Man in a weird sci-fi world where nothing is relatable and you can't really look at anything and go, oh, that's, you know, a building. That's what size that is. Or that's a tree. That's what the tree size is. You can't really compare what Ant-Man is, like what his size actually is and why it matters that he's small or big even. Mm. Um in fact, there were, there were a few times in this movie where I didn't I didn't actually know if he was small or big. Um, I think what stands out the most to me, and a shot that really, really confused me for so long, was the shot where Cassie and Scott do like a, a hug, um, mm, where yeah. they're both meant to be big. And I, I assumed that the reason it was slow motion and the reason there was some sort of big, thunderous sound effect on the, on the shoes 
was because it was meant to be some sort of emotional moment. They were trying to be like, kind of really turn up the whole, the volume on. This is the big moment in the film. It's do slow motion and big sound effects. And then they hug. And there's a shot from like a wide shot of them. And they look like, they look like human beings on a set. And they're human being size on a set. Um, and they, at some point, they start saying, oh, it's so weird being like this. And I'm like, what? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's weird being big, right? And like, are they talking about previously or are they talking about now? I can't tell. And then, like, I think Cassie starts to faint. Mm-hmm. And she finally, like, shrinks down from normal size. And I was so confused. I was so, like, when did this happen? I mean, <laughs> I, I was, yeah, that all those shots just didn't get at all across the idea that they're meant to be told. Um, uh, and I think I think that kind of sums up like how much and I've been quite vocal before about how much I don't particularly love the previous two Ant Man films. But what I will say is that those films, more often than not, do have fun with that concept of them being small. Uh, you know, the wasp running running along a knife, for example, or mm. that pair dispenser or running along the top of a gun or in the bath, uh, being like, like that that size and the water coming to kill him. Um they usually they use that quite well, but then to get into this film, there, there are so many moments where I forget what the main the main character's power even is. <laughs> um, I just know that he's pretty good at karate and that punches hard sometimes. <laughs> um, kind of it, it gets lost a bit in the mix here. Um, the Ant Man nature of the main character, really. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a realm that it's. Compared to space in the MCU or different multiverses or even just normal everyday New York in Earth or whatever, I don't really want to go back to the quantum realm anytime soon. Mm. Um, I'm sure we will, but I won't miss it in terms of like if we don't go there for longer longer than one hour in a film ever again. Um, I just sort of think it, it serves its use. It's sometimes pretty. It's mostly confusing. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I think it's a weird thing to say that the Kang, the Conqueror, was in some ways defeated by this realm. Um, I think that kind of undermines him as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... I mean, but for you, did you ever feel like you were actually getting quantum mania? <laughs> I think that's what took out to me. I didn't really feel like I was like, oh, this is crazy. I just kind of thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's... Sci-fi world. <laughs> I think again, it comes back to kind of the idea that they tried. I think there's a lot mm. going on. It certainly tries to be quantum mania, um, but I would agree that in kind of certain respects, again, it comes down to the execution. Um, that they're not as kind of cleanly laid out. The kind of the, where where each character lies, which which where each faction lies, and kind of the relationships mm. between them, they aren't as maybe laid out as they would be. Which you know, it sounds like a like a simple thing that almost doesn't really explain why it doesn't feel as quantum maniery. Um, mm. But it is it it the kind of the boundaries between the groups and the characters. It it, it needs a bit more time to kind of be fleshed out. And yeah. so it is mainly like you do have ants, like highly intellectual ants, entering the battlefield. You have big <laughs> sentient houses with cannons. That are a bit like mm. I don't know, they're a bit like giant mechanical squids, <laughs> and you have that blobby guy who has a bit of a f- fascination for holes. 
<laughs> but I think because because it feels a little bit more awkward the way it switches between the main characters, I mm. think kind of maybe the madness and the mania with all the other characters does kind of slip into more like a similar awkwardness, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like it, it yeah. if if maybe the dynamics between the main group and the focus of the main group group was a bit clearer and a bit cleaner, then the other stuff would settle into more you'd think, oh, this this is meant to be this chaotic kind of thing. Yeah. Um but as a result of kind of the main kind of core story being a bit messy, it just makes everything else look a bit messy. Yeah. I agree. Um yeah. but again it, it, it does it comes back to it, I think I th- I think there's a lot of good stuff there, and I think if it was tidied up a little bit, it would it, it would have been a a really good film. But I think for me, there is enough of kind of the intent and the the ambition almost that does probably just about satisfy the mania aspect. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it it yeah, I felt like a broken record, but it is just the case of with so much of it. If it was just a little bit cleaner. Mm. You know things. Things may be a bit different, and I, yeah. I think that speaks for kind of the wider reaction that the film's received. Because it seems to be some people either really hate it, <laughs> yeah, but then at the same time there seems to be quite a good number of people that have really taken to it mm. and are, are kind of really enjoying. It. And I think that 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 kind of that kind of broad spectrum of views also serves to kind of sum up the film almost. <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think mania wise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, started I, think... I again I started a sentence without knowing where I was gonna end it. I do it all the time. <laughs> Most of the time I used to wing it and come up with an ending. Um but on that occasion I didn't. So <laughs> I did the exact same all the time. <laughs> yeah. I think the most mania this film gets for me is um it's kind of uh the big thing in this movie, really, was I somehow forgot about until now, but Mordok, I think, is the most mm, yeah. mania thing about this movie, because he is... I don't... I can't tell if I like how it's handled, or I, uh, or I don't. I really can't tell. Um, I I just found it strange. I never got past the strangeness of it. Um, and actually, like, I just never got past it, and I think it's kind of fascinating that he's, he's in this movie... But he's sort of just there, mm. and he sort of ends the film no longer being there, and probably won't be there ever again. And it just sort of happens. Like <laughs> I think the MCU, looking back on it from ten years time, we'll talk about whatever, whatever happened with Kang, whatever happened with uh, Iron Man Four, whatever we'll talk about, and then we'll go, oh yeah, remember when they had more after that one film? And it'll be like another strange like. Oh yeah, that was strange, and I don't think even then we'll get past how strange it is, um, because he's a weird character anyway. But then to, I would say visually present him the way they do in this movie, and then to have him act the way he does in this movie, it's just a bizarre choice that I can't tell if it was brave or stupid. <laughs> I really can't tell. Um, I, I, I can't tell if the joke is meant to be that he's kind of a bad special effect <laughs> or if that just sort of happened um but i do have to say i do enjoy and i will say because i don't enjoy darren cross i think his name is um mm. as a villain in the first Iron Man film i think he 
for some reason to me he really kind of stands out to me as a character who is the epitome of a marvel meh villain um he's just a hero but with a different suit on and has vague kind of motivations here and there um and i think what i will say is that i do prefer him in this movie because he's just doing something completely different <laughs> um and I will say for me, one of the funniest scenes in this movie that did make me laugh quite a lot was his entire death scene, which just, I, I just love Paul Rudd's reaction to him the entire way through. I love that. In fact, I love that every time someone sees him in this movie, it takes a moment to really like process the whole thing. Um, I think, um, the wasp, he's seen him for the first time and just can't get past it for the entire scene. Um, and it really made me laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, for you, Mordok, I have to know what you think about this character in this one. <laughs> I, I, I actually really quite enjoyed the character. I feel like... I think I did too. <laughs> I think, I think they, they, they really did manage to capture kind of the unhinged nature of him. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of a deviation from the comics that will no doubt be discussed by people. Um, Definitely. But I, th- I think for the most part, it does a really good job of capturing that kind of insanity, that madness, and that that kind of brokenness <laughs> of the character. Um, and I, I just love how he does. He just manages to just appear. <laughs> there are several yeah. points in the film where he just appears. I think that <laughs> that really does kind of help him out a lot. Um, well, and like you said, that kind of that kind of death scene just. It's really kind of, it's the kind of humour that I kind of imagined watching it that people wouldn't necessarily like. But at the same yeah. time, I just found myself really enjoying it. I think, yeah, I think what got me about it was the whole, I thought it was funny then, I thought it was really funny when he went, um, at least I'll die in Avenger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's funny because on one hand, like, he's just taught, taught like, this understanding of how it works. Yeah. And then the fact that Paul Rudd reacts the way he does, and then the extroverts me of of everyone to think of as an Avenger who is worth dying for and uh, will make you an Avenger and will anoint you an Avenger. Mm. The idea that you you would um, put Ant Man on that pedestal <laughs> to me is also hilarious. I think I think there's three layers to that joke that makes me laugh so much. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It, yeah, for, for, yeah, for me too. It does. It it does really work. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, I had something. <laughs> what was it? I got in the way there. Oh, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. I'm going to have to accept that it's gone. Was um, it about how Hank Pym reacts to him and just going, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just those reactions. Like you said, it's the fact that. They, they all just take a minute it's like I, I remember what I was going to say um, but yeah they, they all they all kind of take a minute to just just take him in mm. um, <laughs> the whole thing and I do like I, I, I've seen people kind of comment on the kind of look and say that you know he, he probably could have been more body horror um, yeah. in the way he was yeah. designed but at the same time the way I've always understood that character is that he's meant to be mocked Mm-hmm. In that, I think, he, yeah, I think he's meant to be somebody who thinks of it. himself as this highly intelligent, massively um, 
muscle severe killing machine. But at the end of the day, he is named. He he, he is named. Um, what is it? Machine. Only design. Machine only Ma- maximized desire. only designed for killing or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, as kind of Lang Mox, it, it it is a more ridiculous kind of name. Um, mm. And so I, I think the character really works as just kind of this 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 guy who thought he was a hero and ended up being a villain. And I do think it really works it being that villain. Like, I yeah, think it really yeah. works with it being formerly the villain that everybody kind of despises as being one of the worst in the yeah. franchise, or at least one of the weakest. I think it really worked that they brought that specific character back to be this mm. kind of, I'm a genius now, look at me, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> yeah, it was um, better than, if you'd like, for example, if like a Thor movie brought back Loki, and he was this much of a joke. I think it would work mm. a lot less and feel a bit more kind of hurt to the character. Um, but to bring back a character that didn't really work to begin with and mm. kind of have him... I think I honestly think people won't even remember who he is until they, they actually show a flashback. Mm. Um, so I think it kind of... Uh, yeah, I think him coming back in a weird way makes me like that character way more than I ever have before. Yeah. Um, I, before this, I, my opinion of him was that he is... He's pretty much, you know, he is the epitome of Marvel struggling villain. That doesn't really work very well. <laughs> um, but yeah, now he's just a very bizarre event in MCU timeline. <laughs> that just happens. Yeah, it just happens. <laughs> it so happens and we've more, moved on. <laughs> yeah, I think it was more strange seeing Kang the Conqueror stand next to him. I was like, wow. <laughs> Imagine Thanos standing next to Mordok and being like, "Yo, you're my henchman," <laughs> you know. Um, a very yeah, it's a weird matchup there. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't necessarily align. <laughs> Not really. You wouldn't put them in the same boat. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, are, are there any other kind of main topics you want to cover? Um, I can't think of anything because I think this film is it's kind of weird because it's. It's both so big, but also quite not much really going on at the same time. Um, it kind of, like I said before, it kind of it's a movie where I think more than most, or maybe any Marvel film, it kind of goes through the motions. Um, mm. It kind of does. It hits these kind of bars. Um, oh, I will say, I guess for me, on like kind of a for my kind of background on these films, is that I. They're definitely at like the bottom of my list in terms of the films um, ranked. Um, I kind of, I, I kind of like the first one. I don't like the second one very much. Um, but what I will say is that I do prefer this film over the second one. Mm. Um, and I think that's just because the bar, the the goal is higher for them. Yeah. I, think. I think they're trying for something a bit a bit heavier, um, a bit more important. And I think. That just for me is always going to be a bit. I'd rather see them try and not quite get there, and compared to what for me the second film, the second film was where it was kind of just aiming for the you know the classic strains kind of thing that I don't understand really with these kind of films is the, the palate cleanser movie. Um, 
I mm. don't particularly get that. And I think the second song tries to go for that and doesn't even do that that well. Um, and also just comparing villains. I know we've kind of criticised Kang quite a, a few times here, but, you know, comparing Kang to Tarion Cross or even, I think it's Ghost in the second film? <laughs> um, <laughs> even, like, comparing, you know, comparing that to them is so, like, night and day um, to me, where it's just, like, an obvious... Kang just by himself, just standing around, has way more presence than, than those two ever did for me. Um, so I think, yeah, I think... This film aims bar higher, but overall fails to kind of meet what it wanted to do, but at least it went for it. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, do you have any kind of closing thoughts on it? In my brain, much the same, I think. I respect mm. that this film kind of takes in everything that's been said about the previous two versions and really goes for it and really does try mm. and tell a big story that that has a lot going on in it. I think it's kind of handled a bit messily in places, um, kind of across the board. There's there's things that kind of don't quite line up to make it the best that it could be. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm always someone who tries to focus on the positives of these things, and I I I, I do find a lot in there that redeems it. I think with tweaks here and there, I I do genuinely believe that it, it could be a really good kind of instalment. Um, yeah. And and that's not to say I didn't enjoy it because I did I did. It was it was a really kind of entertaining cinema experience, um, mm. and I did you know I I did enjoy it, and I think there are a lot of good parts to it, and Kang kind of being one of them, and Jonathan Major's performance being one of them, and yeah, mm. I do kind of look on this film quite positively in the end. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to see where this character goes, whether it's kind of like a three and done for someone like Peyton Reed or if, if they're kind of going to build on it in, into the future because I think the kind of the character of Scott Lang generally adds quite an interesting kind of aspect to this universe in that he is probably the most normal of any of the kind of any of the superheroes that they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's a man in a suit but he's kind of not like a man in the suit in the same way as like Iron Man who obviously has this massive kind of intellect and has ha, certainly manages to have that kind of superhero aura even though he is ultimately just a human um, yeah. Scott Lang is is just a bloke <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a really kind of it's a really good kind of connector for the audience to have and it, it, it helps me for one to really kind of always enjoy him in this universe um, yeah. and I, 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 I do think this instalment kind of carries that on so yeah I'm, I'm I'm thinking positively on it. Yeah, I have positive I think, yeah, thoughts. I think even though, mm. Yeah, I think for me as well, like kind of this weird thing where, I yeah, I've given it a low rating, and also in terms of like our whole podcast, I kind of be more negative than positive. But I will say that it, it wasn't an experience that I was, I didn't hear, I didn't kind of have this kind of. Um, I think sometimes, sometimes with a movie that you don't like, you can have this kind of uh, this weird feeling of wanting to kind of tear it down a bit um mm. but with this film i don't feel that at all and i feel a bit kind of just and more of a sorry that it came out this way um i think maybe even just like give it more time in production more time in writing the script and that would make this film a lot better um i think for me i was i, I was quite excited for this movie to be like the big turning point for Ant man and his films i was really hoping that it's going to be easily the best one um 
but to have it kind of be uh, not quite that is disappointing. But at the same time, I feel like I could feel that it was aiming for that, and it mm. it was really trying. I think I think that's kind of the thing that we keep on coming back to, where it did try quite a lot, and I think it's just a I think for me it's just more of a shame, really. I think, um, but I do think I if I do ever come back to it, I do think the film I probably will like more on a rewatch, uh, just out of not putting pressure on it and just kind of enjoying it for what it is more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well if if, if going forward as well, Kang the Conqueror works out quite well, and the whole kind of Kang Dynasty thing uh, really lands well with audiences and and me, I think. Um, I won't look back on this film as quite a uh, a film that dropped the ball as hard as I think it has at the moment. Um, because I think yeah, as we said, like the film being so future heavy in some ways, I think the future obviously decides how this movie would be looked back upon. <laughs> um, mm, yeah. So yeah, definitely not a film I would say is worth uh you know hating on or being like oh this is this is ruining the MCU or whatever. Um. I just think it's kind of a bit of a shame, really, to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that yeah, for me that wraps up. Unless you want to add anything else. No, um, no, I think we've we've come to our yeah, conclusion. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you have any opinions uh, at home, uh, let us know on the Instagram or Friday any podcast kind of says that you're listening on. Uh, mm. Happy to hear what you think about good or bad. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very a lot to discuss with it, I think. A um, hmm. lot to kind of get into. So yeah, let us know. Um, of course, I have a, we have a written review up at the moment, so you want to read that as well. We have that uh, mm-hmm. already on on the Marlowe Center podcast uh, Instagram channel. Uh, channel? Is that a thing? Um, well, <laughs> we know what you Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I hope you enjoyed it, uh, this whole podcast, and I'll see you next week. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.